Hey, Lisa. Hi, Julie. How you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, we decided that it was time to do a coaching episode this week. We've had some amazing guests over the past several weeks, but with 40 days to go until the Boston Marathon, we, we know that it is time to just kind of hash it out and talk about the things we all should and want to be doing right now with 40 days to go until the Boston Marathon on Monday, April 18th. Kind of crazy how fast yep. it's going. <laughs> it is. And yesterday, I think it was just yesterday, bib numbers were released. They are in, um, if you haven't seen it yet and you're registered for Boston, it's in your Athletes Village account. Uh, if you go under my races and go to the 126th Boston Marathon, you should be able to see your Bib number, which I think has made it hit home for a lot of people that this is coming up. Like, you know, bib numbers are really pretty close to the date of the race. So um, I think everyone now feels like it's real and it's happening. And like you said, I think a lot of people are starting to um, either panic or think about, start trying to wrap their head around uh, heading heading to Boston. So uh, we thought it would be helpful to go through, you know, you know, work through everything that folks should be thinking about. Yeah, I think the biggest thing with bib numbers that's exciting is it provides the wave that each of us are in. And, and for me, that's very helpful because I really want to know, am I starting at 1025 or 1050? Um, I am starting at 1050. So what that tells me is that I want to do a few runs around that time, which actually works out really nicely because it's close enough to lunchtime that uh, just doing some lunchtime runs um, approximates 10.50. So that helps me mentally think about when to eat my first breakfast, what to eat at 9.50, and, and kind of preparing mentally for that timing. Yeah, and let's just run through that. The um, wave one is the red bib. So if you see a red bib, the number is 250 through 7,700. Uh, those buses load at 6.45 a.m., so pretty early, and start time is 10 a.m. Um, we should uh, say that we do not know if it's a rolling start again this year or not yet, um, but that is the bus loading and the start time. Uh, wave two is the white wave. It's 8,000 to 15,999. Uh, that's bus loading 7.30 a.m., start 10.25. Wave three is 16,000 to 23,999. 8.15 bus loading. 10.50 a.m. start time. We have four is 24,000 and above. That's a 9 a.m. bus loading and 11.15 start time. So like you said, it's helpful to know because that's a big difference between getting on the bus at 6.45 and starting at 10 and getting on a bus at 9 and starting at 11.15. Yes, so, and to your point, we're, yeah. we um, reached out to Dave McGilvery. We believe he will be on the podcast shortly, at which point we are hopeful that he will be able to crystallize whether there will be once again a rolling start or whether runners will be staged in Hopkinton. And that also will allow us to provide more guidance as to optimal times to board the bus. If it's a rolling start, there really isn't much, uh, there, there isn't much discretion. You got to get on the bus um, that corresponds to your assigned uh, wave time. And we found that to be true when we ran in October, they really did enforce it. They looked at your bibs and sure we know of people that were able to sneak on a bus and get, get up there earlier. But what's the point when, if, when it's a rolling start, you really don't want to be there much earlier than a half hour from when you're supposed to yeah. start. Our, when I was there last year, our waves were pretty strict. They did have volunteers checking in. Not only that, 
But I'll tell you, runners are pretty good at self-monitoring. Uh, and if they saw somebody with a wrong color bib, they were calling them out. So don't be that person who tries to sneak in. Um, you can move back waves. So if let's say you're in the red wave and you don't feel like you're ready to start or you want to start with friends that are in a later wave, you can move back. You cannot move up. So don't be that person that, um, you know, I remember we we were, there were a bunch of people that were yelling at somebody that they didn't have the right <laughs> bib on. I thought that, you know, just don't, don't be that person. Like, don't. Don't, don't, don't require other runners to, but they will check you. So um, somebody will, the volunteers, um, you know, or the, or the other runners that are waiting to patiently to board the bus, because last year with the rolling start, they did hold any, um, you know, I was in the white uh, wave last year. So they did hold, hold any white bibs um, until all the reds had boarded and gotten on. And then they let the white bibs go. And it was very orderly, but it was very um, well enforced. So no need to get there earlier. Like you said, especially if there's a wave start, and we'll talk about that more. It looks to me just based on the boarding times and the, um, you know, times to the start time that, that, it, that they could be contemplating doing that again, but um, we'll, we'll find out more. It might be a little bit different if we do sit in Athletes Village, but, um, but like you said, it's not, there, there's no rush. There's no rush to get there. No, and it also the line goes quickly. So what we weren't sure about last time until we actually ran it and saw the wave start um, materialize is that when you get to the commons, it's, it's actually, it moves quickly, it moves smoothly. So let's say that, you know, your boarding time is 8.15. Sure, you can get there at eight and, and you'll get on a bus pretty quickly. Um, you're not going to be staged standing there forever. It's not like an amusement park where there's like <laughs> long lines and ropes and stuff. There's plenty of buses, right. plenty of opportunity to get on and everything moves pretty quickly. And it's the BAA. They do things so well. And I was so impressed the last time I know you were too with how efficiently everything ran. So we have no reason to believe it won't be as efficient this time. Absolutely. And while we're talking about Boston, we should mention that um, we are really excited that our panel discussion um, we were supposed to have with Sheree Turner um, of the Strides Forward podcast. We were supposed to do something um, in 2020, which obviously that got canceled. And we started talking with Sheree again about doing something this year and it is coming together. And I think that we can now announce that we are going to have something on Saturday. Details are still coming together, but we can also now announce that um, Marilyn Bevins is going to be kind of our, our, our guest of honor, one of them at least, we're working on some others, but we have confirmed Marilyn Bevins. And Marilyn uh, was the first sub three hour African-American female marathon runner. And interestingly enough, she ran that three hour marathon right in our backyard here. She is from Baltimore. Um, she came in second place at uh, the 1977 Boston Marathon, where she ran a 251.12. So she was also uh, the first black uh, medalist or at, at Boston. Um, so she is featured in, um, in a documentary that's coming out that's also going to be screened in Boston, but it's coming out this summer. And uh, was going to happen, we found out she's going to be in Boston anyway, and she is going to join us. So we are delighted to have her and we are going to feature in this 50th year since the first year Boston officially allowed women to run. We are going to talk about the evolution of, of women's of women's running and um, it's going to be such an honor to have her. Yeah, super exciting, super excited to uh, amplify her story, which is an incredible story. It's not told enough. And we were just so thrilled that she agreed to uh, 
join us. And thank you so much to Tony Reeve who helped arrange that. Uh, he is someone who is always working to elevate the stories of uh, black American distance runners. And we're just so grateful that uh, Marilyn and Tony are able to join us uh, on Saturday, April 16th. We will have more details regarding the time and location. Uh, we're working on that now, but we plan to make the event free, but tickets will likely be limited due to capacity. Uh, we're working on all of that, but we'll keep everyone posted. So in terms of other housekeeping, before we get into our tips, we also wanted to remind anyone who is interested that the lottery opened today for the New York City Marathon. Today is March 9th. So for those interested, enter your name. Uh, it is open for, I believe, another two weeks. And um, New York City is always a, a, a tough one to get into, and I'm sure this year will be no exception. So um, give it a try, and always, if it, if it doesn't work out, there are other ways to get in. Some people get in through qualifying, others get in, especially many of our local runners, by participating in races. So there are other ways to get in besides the lottery, but keep trying. Um, lastly, in terms of housekeeping, I have a, a cool story that I found, and that is that the winner of the Newport News one city marathon. We had a couple of our runners do that. We posted about their successes and their experiences on our social media. It was a hot day. And the winner is a woman who won uh, second overall. And I'm sorry, first overall. And her husband finished, I believe, 20 seconds behind her to win second overall. So not only was she the first woman, she was the first person to cross the finish line with her husband right behind her. How cool is that? <laughs> I have you seen the story anywhere? Like I haven't been able to find the story or anything. I'd love to learn more about them and, and hear that story of that, 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 uh, that finish. That's really cool. The only story I saw was in the local Newport news, uh, register. There was a mention of this, but there was no backstory. So, uh, maybe runner's world can do something on them. I believe she's French. Um, so I, I, I really don't have a lot of details, but uh, she finished, it was 2.38. And uh, I, I would believe, I would guess her husband might've paced her and that's, they had to run together. And I love if they did run together and it did play out where she out kicked him, that's amazing. Or if it played out where they ran together and he wanted to give her the opportunity to finish first, that's amazing too. So either way, how it played out. Props to both of them working together and getting it done. Such a cool story. Uh, so speaking of races, I ran the Reston 10 miler this weekend, which is the very last race that I ran before COVID in 2020. Um, and I was really excited to be back two years later. It's a tough course. It's just one big up and down rolling hill after hill. But I really like this race because uh you know, maybe I'm a little bit of a masochist, but I'm familiar with the rolling hills. And it also gives me personally sort of a good indication of my fitness about six, seven weeks before Boston. So I, I personally didn't have the best race. I don't know. It was a little hot. It was a little humid. I tried not to get into my head. So I'll talk about some highlights. Highlights include that I wore, um, for half the race, the new, um, the new shoes that I talked about a couple weeks ago, the Hoka's with the carbon, the Bondi's. And um, I'm such a dork, so I changed them out. Um, 
I was going to say, you say for half a race, you were there. Yeah. So I, they were at, <laughs> I, just, I know, it's, I knew the course well enough. And like, I just put them somewhere and changed them out. And then I picked them up like afterwards because it's loops and it's near South Lake High School. And okay. I don't think I'm crazy, okay. but like I needed to test them out to, to kind of see in a meaningful way how they worked. And I didn't love them as much as I thought. Um, they worked for like the first three, four miles. They felt really great. And then I felt like they were stressing my calves a little more than I would have liked. So I was super grateful that I had a plan that allowed me to just jump off to have my other shoes waiting for me. Nobody stole the other pair that I had hiding that I picked up in my well, clothes. Nobody stole your shoes, your used shoes. I mean, <laughs> I, I know that people listening must think I'm crazy, but I, I looked at this race as a dress rehearsal and I really needed to practice with these shoes. So uh, bottom line is I'm going to wear the carbon shoes occasionally for fun 5Ks, um, but I will not be wearing them, for example, for Cherry Blossom that we're doing on April 3rd. And I certainly won't be wearing them for Boston. I'm so glad I tested them out because had I worn them, for example, for just a, a speed workout or wore them, for example, for just a 5K, I may have had the, the misperception that they worked for me and I would have worn them for my race. So I encourage those who are experimenting with racing shoes, even those that are sort of middle of the road racing shoes and intended for um, not super speedy people, but people with some speed like me, uh, definitely test them out for longer intervals beyond just a workout to see if they work for you. So that's number one. Number two, I use Morton gels. Um, that is not something that I used at Boston last time, but I wanted to give those a try and see how they worked. And I'm pleased to report that I did not have any stomach issues using the Mortons. So I'm planning on using those half calf and half regular for Boston. And um, did you use the caffeinate? Did you try the caffeinated one? I did. Weekend? I did. I used did, only the did caffeinated. You, did you tell a little? Yeah. Did you, did you, could you taste a little difference? That was my, um, I used Morton's last year for Boston for training and for Boston. I love them. I love it, but I was using just the non-caffeinated, but on race day, I thought, well, I'll take a caffeinated later in the race and the taste threw me. It's a little bit to me. I, I haven't tried it again since it was a little bitter, but I actually almost spit it out and I ended up taking a non-caffeinated instead. So I think if, you know, people are trying them, uh, try both. So just to make sure you're used to the taste and also the caffeine doesn't upset your stomach. You're, you raise a great point. I did remember you saying that tasted a little funky. I would sort of, I would compare it to a little bit of a black licorice taste to it. Yeah. I happen to yep. love good and plenty. So it didn't bother me, but for those who loathe black licorice, and I know there are plenty of you out there, definitely do a taste test of the caffeinated Morton's before trying them on race day. Uh, number three highlight was that I maintain even splits. So even though I just felt like I couldn't get going in the same way I normally would at this race, I was even Steven throughout the whole thing, which is good. And highlight number four, which I saved to the very end, is at the finish line, Kira D'Amato, who used to live in the Ruston area and worked for the uh, company that put on the race, PR Running, she handed out the medals. And she is as nice as the day is long. She ran the race as a workout and then uh, waited at the finish line on. She still probably won. Did she win it? <laughs> Did she win it she running won, as a workout? She won first overall. She won first overall female, of course. And I think she was second overall behind a guy. Wow. Uh, she would have won the whole thing if it was the real deal, right. no doubt. But she, I believe she ran, you know, something around a five, 
30 to 545 pace, which is a workout for her. But she was so nice, Lisa. She, so she gave out the medals and I didn't, I didn't want to, you know, fangirl and bother her. But after I did a cool down around the track, it ends at a track. And then she was just standing there by herself. So I walked up to her and I just introduced myself and just told her how much we enjoyed watching her journey and how we had talked about her previously on the podcast. Uh, not just because she's a fast runner, but because she's someone who took a very long break. She was always perceived as an underdog, even though she certainly made her mark in college running for um, American University and how she just is a hard worker, puts her nose to the grind, but never takes herself too seriously. And of course, also like many runners is a mom and has a full-time job as a realtor. So just really cool how she's managed to continue to make her training fun and as a result, set the Women's American Marathon record at Houston. So we were talking and just, she was so lovely and, and just as humble as you would imagine. And she just said, you know, I really think the key to my success uh, has been that I never take myself too seriously. She said, this is fun. She said, I love doing this. I'm having the best time. And she said, when it's not fun, that's when there's a problem. And she said, that's what for me has made this whole journey so amazing. So I am passing on that nugget to everyone listening. And uh, it was just Love such it. a treat to meet her. So uh, that's yeah. Such, that's such a great piece of advice. If you're not loving it. You shouldn't, you gotta, you've gotta love it to do it. That's a great, I love that. Yeah. You're not having fun. If you're not having fun. It's not serving its purpose. This should be, this should be fun. It's our hobby. Yeah. None of us are paid to run. She may now get paid. For, none of us are paid to run. So it's got to be, it's got to be fun. I love that. That's great. Wow. Well, congratulations. At least you got in a race and got, you know, got to try out your shoe. I mean, it definitely served a purpose. And, um, you know, you raised a good point though about the shoes and, and Kelly Scherf has talked to us about this before. And we, we know that a lot of the carbon plated shoes are, are good for um, really fast runners and when, when, or when you are running very fast. And that may be, like you said, it could be on a track and you're running really fast for short periods of time and they work then, but they don't work when you start to fatigue or when you're running, you know, a little bit slower paces. So really important to try them out on um, some longer runs uh, without, you know, the, some of the carbon plate shoes have very limited um, mileage life. So you can't use them for too many runs, but you got to find a balance of, of, and I think what you did is a great, great idea. I can't imagine stopping in the middle of the race to swap shoes, but very good idea. And like you said, good thing that you found out then rather than, uh, you know, trying to wear them for uh, cherry blossom or for for Boston and realizing halfway through that your calves are fatiguing and they're starting to cramp up because you've got the wrong shoes on for that day. So good point. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it is yeah. a little cuckoo. I agree, but you know, I wouldn't have done it if I wasn't so familiar with the course. It was my third time running it. I knew exactly where it would be a, a possibility to do that. And I also trust that people are good and honest and aren't going to steal my other <laughs> pair of shoes while I'm out running. <laughs> Runners are good people. So let's actually use that though to, to kind of transition into our tips for getting uh, ready for a successful Boston with six weeks to go. And that is assessing where your fitness, the first tip that we have is to assess where your fitness is right now and not where, you know, you wished it would be, or you wish it would be in six weeks, but where are you right now? Um, we're coming up on sort of like the last long runs. Um, you're 
if you're following a, a typical taper, which we, we usually do, um, the last long run is gonna be the last weekend in March. That's a three week taper. So some people do a two week taper, so you may bump it up into April, but that, that's coming up um, pretty quickly. And, and using that as a dry run, um, making sure you, the night before you eat a dinner that's similar to what you're gonna eat the night before the race, to the extent you can pick out the clothes and do, you know, kind of run your morning. Like we were talking about the timing of the morning, to the extent you can do that, do that. It's not only physical preparation, but that's mental preparation. I mean, that's what's so huge at this point, as we start to get physically prepared for the race, much, much, much of what we are doing is, is mental preparation. So, um, you know, finding a race to practice all of that, just to get into that groove, like you did practicing your nutrition. If you're going to use Morton, um, you know, try, try both the caffeinated and the non-caffeinated salt tabs. What's the timing of your salt tabs going to be like, make sure that works for you. Um, practicing, like I said, to the extent you can, not knowing the weather in Boston, um, but your, your shoes, like we just talked about and your clothing. And if you're going to need new shoes before race day, now is the time to get those. You, you don't need to really break in shoes anymore, but you know, if your shoes are nearing 200, 300 miles and you're going to want another pair before race day, uh, now, now is the time to do that. Yeah. A lot of people ask us about when should I rotate in a new pair? A lot of people seem to have about like 160 to 180 miles in their shoes. So not quite enough to need a replacement pair, but you also, who doesn't want a fresh pair of shoes to run a marathon in? So we really advise people, if you're thinking about it, now's a great time. You can continue to run in your, in your previous pair and just save your other pair for a few runs a week. And then by the time you get to race day, you'll you'll only have between 20 and, you know, 50, 60 miles on them, which is a great, a great way to be because they're broken in, but not used too much. So absolutely now is a great time to do that. And I should also mention for people who wear orthotics like super feet or um, special, you know, specialized or tailored orthotics, uh, take a look at those too. I know that it's really easy to kind of ignore that, but if your orthotics are on their last legs, maybe uh, now is a good time to take them over to your specialty running store and have them take a look at those in your shoes and make sure they work. I know for me, when I replaced a pair of my shoes, I had to adjust the super feet that I'm using. And I wouldn't have even thought of that. But of course, Ray over at R&J did and he hooked me up and uh, he was absolutely right. It just I just automatically kept putting him into my shoes because those last a lot longer than shoes. So yeah, absolutely. We can't plan specifically what we're wearing for race day, but certainly there are certain things that we will wear regardless of weather. So for women, sports bras, test out your sports bra, make sure that you aren't chafing. Chafing is super annoying and that's not something you want to be distracted by on race day. So it's great to practice that and make sure that you have body glide or whatnot in the proper places to avoid that. We all know what it feels like after a run, when you get into the shower, in the shower, oh, oh it's the worst, <laughs> the worst pain. Uh, along those lines, too, how are you going to carry your nutrition? So, if you're going to be carrying that in pockets or a spy belt or a flip belt or whatever it is, like practice that. We get a lot of questions right before we say, like, oh no, like where do I put all my nutrition? Well, you're even if you don't use it on your training run, which you should still be using some of it, you're not going to use all of it. Figure out if you've got eight gels that you're going to need, where are you going to put those? We love, I know I, you know, always run in my Lululemon, either my, my shorts or my tights um, from Lululemon that have the side pockets because those fit in really nicely, but we've used spy belts in the past, flip belts, um, you know, just pinning, pinning gels, whatever you're going to do, make sure you're practicing that. And like I said, the, the last long runs that you have coming up are a really good opportunity. If you've got a race coming up, um, that's a good opportunity to practice that as well. 
I mean, I, I put my, a lot of my stuff in my, I have a bra that I wear from Lululemon that has pockets. So I'll put my cell tabs at the very least because they're smaller and in a Ziploc. I will put those in my bra and then like one or two gels. And then I'll put some, I just kind of put them everywhere, but you have to figure that out before race day, what works. And I mean, it's certainly not attractive. When I first start running any marathon. I, I kind of like that idea. I've got, I've got gel implants. <laughs> I've got gel implants in there. Yeah. I'm losing size as I run because I'm eating them. But like that's kind of a little purpose. I don't mind that. <laughs> Meanwhile, I look like a freaking porn star because I've got these like like gels just like stuffed all around my bra. So the early pictures of always at Boston, I look like got these weird things in my bra. That's funny. But- I always look like I have big hips because mine are in my side pocket. So I'm always like, wow, like, like <laughs> hips are bulging out the sides and they get smaller as they go, but yours are, you know, in your, in your bra. So same thing. Yeah. We're, we're just here giving some TMI, but I do love that. You just said you, you literally have gel implants when you have your gel in your bra. I'm going to laugh. Like, I have to rethink where I'm putting my gels. Like I'm putting them in my side pockets. I think I may need to follow your lead and put them in my, put them in my sports bra. But bottom line is practice that. And that's something that you don't typically practice before race day because you may run loops by your house and pick something up, or you may stop somewhere and pick something up, or you may not take as much as you're going to need on race day with you. Um, so we get a lot of panicked at the last minute, people saying, "Uh Oh, where do I put all my stuff? Well, you know, that's something you want to be practicing now. Same thing with your watch. If you're going to be, um, manually hitting, um, split. So we talk about this with a lot of our runners that, um, the Garmin's not going to be exact. If you leave it on auto lap, you'll hear it. You'll hear it. And if you've done, you know, anyone who's listening has probably seen this before you're at a race and somebody's watch beeps and it's before the course mile marker. And somebody goes, my watch is, or the course mile markers are wrong. My watch says we hit a mile and you know, the cor- aren't those course mile markers are wrong. The course mile markers are not wrong. The course mile markers are the course mile, mile markers. They are marking the course. I mean, they could be off, I suppose, like, you know, somebody put one in the wrong place, but that's what marks the course. Your Garmin will usually not match up exactly because of tangents and because of GPS and, and satellite signals. So so if you are somebody who is really looking for a specific finish time and you know your pace needs to be a certain, you know, you need 7.30 per mile for 26.2 miles to hit a certain finish time and you're hitting every single mile, 20, you know, 7.30, 7.30, 7.30, 7.30, you get to 26.2, you'll have your finish time, but that finish line isn't there yet. It's usually going to be another 0.1, 0.2, 0. 0.3 miles because of those factors that we talked about before. So what you can do is you can set your watch um, in a number of different ways. Um, uh, Garmin has a race course app that you can use where you hit it and it'll adjust your pace and your estimated finish time every time you hit a mile marker and you hit it manually. You can just set it for manual lap instead of auto lap so that you're hitting it and you can see that lap time based on the course time. There's a lot of different ways you can you you can configure your watch settings. If you're going to do something on rate different on race day, then just leave your watch the way it is. Practice that um, ahead of time because it can be frustrating if you set set it up a particular way and. And um, if you're going to set pace alerts, that's something some runners do is they set pace alerts, you know, a little too fast, a little too, so you can set it so that it beeps if you're going too fast or too slow, but figure out how that works. Let's make sure it's not going to annoy you. Make sure if you're hitting things manually, you're not going to get frustrated because you've messed it up. Just get familiar with that. So again, these last long runs that we have coming up, good opportunity to do that. 
And if you're someone that feels like that's overwhelming and that you are listening to this saying, oh, I never do that, that's okay too. Certainly people ran well before Garmin's. You just use the elapsed time and you know in your head sort of what time you want to hit some significant mile markers. And of course there's pace bands and you can write them on your arm or just in your head have an idea of ballpark of where you want to be. And um, I'm sure you'll run just as well. Manual is more for those who really like, like you mentioned, just really want to maintain a very specific pace to have a very specific time. And certainly we're not here to discourage that, but if it's going to cause stress and just don't do it and just, just run and don't worry about it. We don't want to overcomplicate things. So as far as pacing though, you just mentioned, you know, if you have a 7.30 pace and you want to finish in a certain time, um, most people listening to this who, who are here with us are seasoned runners. So you know this already, and this is just serves as a reminder. Marathon pace should, shouldn't feel that hard at this point. Now, we understand that when you're running and practicing pacing, sometimes you'll have a day where you run marathon pace and everyone does this, including us. Oh my God, I just ran two miles at marathon pace. How am I supposed to do this for 26.2 miles? I'm here to tell you that once you're tapered, once you, you're fueled, once you have that bib on, you're going to rock it. You're, you are prepared. But if every time you go out for a training run, you are running marathon pace and it feels really hard or harder than what it, you perceive marathon pace to feel like when you've run the same pace in the past, then it's probably time to really assess where you are right now in your fitness. And there's, there's no shame in your game. I mean, we all have seasons. We all have seasons where we're running more miles, seasons where we have less distractions, seasons where we're just sitting in the training best we can, but maybe not doing speed workouts in the way we normally do. It's all okay. No judgment, but you don't want to put yourself in a position where you have a certain time in your head, or you characterize yourself as being a certain type of runner in a marathon where you say, well, I normally run 7:30, So I'm going to run 7:45." No, really assess where you are right now, because maybe you should be running eight or eight 30 for this cycle. And that is okay. The best thing you can do for yourself is be realistic, start out at that realistic pace. And if you are feeling really great, Certainly at mile 20, 21, 22, you can go out there and crush it at Boston because after Heartbreak Hill, after Newton, there's a lot of opportunity to pass a lot of people if you don't start out too fast. And we've talked about this a lot with the course and it does not do anyone any favors when you start out too fast. But if you start out a little bit slower or at a perceived effort, that's a little easier, you can really crush it during the last segment of the race once you get into Boston out of Newton. Yep. Good point. And, um, I would just say too, that, you know, if you're doubting, you're not quite sure where your marathon pace should be, go out and do a race. Again, if you can find a race to do that's, that's probably going to give you your best way to then extrapolate where you are in terms of your fitness right now. It's really hard to do that on a training run. Like you said, you know, I, I, I don't, can't recall any runner or ourselves ever saying, oh yeah, this marathon pace feels like something that I can hold for 26.2 miles. We just know from experience that, once we get to race day, like you said, everything that comes together. So um, I, I think really what's most critical at this point, because again, we're 85 to 90% of the way they're physically trained is the mental side of it. So visualization is really important right now. So if you haven't run Boston before, even if you have go online, there are plenty of videos. If you go on YouTube to look for the Boston course, there's the official Boston marathon preview. There's other videos like really visualize, start visualizing because that is a huge 
part of, of performance and, and also just um, you know, anxiety leading up to race day. So that ability to, to visualize. So that's really important as well. Yeah, and you mentioned we're 85 to 90% um, on our way, but it's not too late to make some meaningful changes and adjustments before race day. We still have 40 days to go. And, and one thing that is really important is if you have any kind of niggle or a pain or something that isn't extreme, maybe just a one or two um, on a scale of one to 10, but it's, it's persistent, don't hesitate to make an appointment with a physical therapist and have someone put their hands on you and take a look at what's going on. And in fact, make a couple of appointments. If suddenly you are feeling completely better, you can always cancel. We wouldn't recommend that, but it's really nice to have an expert take a look at you and, and really most physical therapists who are runners or runner friendly, they're not going to tell you don't run. They're going to figure out a way to help you continue to run. And maybe they'll tell you pull back on your speed work a little bit, or you look great. You have a little bit of pain because you're wearing a shoe that's causing you to pronate too much. So go get some new shoes. I mean, it could be a number of things, but just having the comfort of having an expert, take a look at you. So you're not going into your race with that same pain and wondering, oh gosh, I don't know what this is, but I'm going to wait until after the race to have it checked out. Don't do that. And then similarly with things you can do right now, we just wanted to kind of go over some key workouts that it, let's say you don't have time to do a race between now and Boston, or you just don't feel comfortable racing for a litany of reasons. There are some workouts that you can go out and do just to kind of assess where you are in your fitness and continue to build your fitness because we can sharpen between now and Boston. It's not too late to do sharpening. The endurance, the aerobic capacity is there. So now is a great time to, to test some things out. So Lisa, do you want to talk about a couple of key workouts that we can do in our training, whether it's in our long run or in a separate tempo run? Um, yeah, I think, um, you know, some, some tempo workouts right now are sort of the, the key workouts. There really aren't a lot of track workouts that you're going to do that are going to change your performance, but that lactate threshold, which is that ability to hold a harder pace for a longer period of time, your speed endurance is really important. So, um, you know, one example of a workout be, you know, three by two miles at slightly faster than marathon pace or at half marathon pace, um, or, you know, or two times three to four miles. So really getting in like a long chunk of mileage. I mean, you know, doing six miles at slightly faster than, than marathon goal pace at, um, you know, anywhere in that range, really, there's a range tempo is sort of a range from um, lactate threshold, which is uh, closer to 10 K to 10 miler pace um, all the way through marathon pace. So kind of hitting that range and hitting longer, longer intervals there. Um, I really like, we've given a lot of our runners and it seems to um, build both confidence and also, um, uh, you know, physiological systems, um, speed reserve workout. So doing a workout like that, or doing maybe, um, you know, four by one mile at 10 K pace. So that's sort of the top of your, you know, right at lactate threshold, a little bit above lactate threshold, and then going right into 100 or 200 meter repeats at like one mile pace with big recoveries between those. So you might do hundred meters at one mile pace and then three minutes easy. So it's really um, sharpening your body's ability to generate power and speed when it's fatigued. And after you've, you've, you know, run those, those, that longer, longer effort at a, at a, at a comfortably hard pace. So it's not the same as doing those um, hard intervals at the end of an easy run. You've, you've already kind of depleted, um, 
you know, depleted yourself, you've run at that race pace effort. So I like, I, I like those speed reserve workouts. And again, just getting those big chunks of time in where your body's adapting at, at threshold. Um, so that come race day, you're able to do that. Yeah. And, and feel free to do some of these on a hillier course. They don't have to be on a completely flat surface. Conversely, don't find the hilliest course possible. Don't find the biggest hills possible, because if you look at the the grade and the elevation of the Boston Marathon, it's actually, the hills aren't that crazy. It's just the placement of the hills, where they occur in the race. So you don't need to go powering up the biggest hills in your area to achieve the point of the workout, but certainly practicing running even effort on hills is a great way to build confidence and also recognize that it's normal to run slower uphill and you can make that up downhill. You don't want to try and maintain the same exact pace on the hill. That's not what we'll do on race day. That's certainly not what you want to do in your training and building that confidence and understanding how to execute mileage at a fast pace on hills is really a great thing to do before race day. And it's good for mental training as well. Similarly, uh, the weather is going, there are going to probably be between now and race day, some hotter days, and there are also going to be some rainy days. Look at both as an opportunity to practice running in those conditions. We've already practiced running in the cold for those listening who live in the Northeast or in colder climates, but we haven't had as much opportunity to run warmth and rain, both of which are entirely possible on race day. So get out there and practice both so that you've got all three under your belt and you're not feeling nervous on race day should the conditions not be optimal. Hopefully they'll be optimal, but we've been there and we know that is not always the case. And that's a really good point just to that, to that one point in particular, um, your, your GI system will react differently in heat and in, well, in heat particularly. And we've had this, we've seen this before, you know, some nutrition that might have worked for you in cooler weather, your body just doesn't digest it as well in the heat and in the cold, it's hard to get physically get the nutrition in. And this was an issue I had in Boston, 2018. I, I didn't package my nutrition in a way that really allowed me to get it into me when my hands were freezing. So think about that. Like if your hands are freezing cold and you can't, you know, are you going to be able to open a package of chews and get them out and are they going to be frozen? So, um, so, you know, doing some of these workouts that we talked about in a longer run is a really good opportunity too to test out how your body um, reacts and absorbs the, the nutrition at harder paces and in different conditions. So incorporating nutrition into those runs, incorporating those workouts we talked about into a longer run, um, really important. Yeah. So we also wanted to talk a little bit about thinking about now, what, what do you want to get out of this Boston marathon? So recognizing that not every race is going to be a race where we try to achieve a PR um, of course, that's great. I mean, if you feel that you are in a position to go for a personal record at Boston or something close to your PR, that is amazing. Get out there and knock out of the park. But perhaps your training cycle wasn't uh, what you had hoped it would be, or you just didn't have the time or the energy um, to put into your training cycle what you normally would, not because of any reason other than, look, we all live lives outside of our running as Lisa, you mentioned earlier, it's our hobby. It is not our profession and things happen. And my gosh, uh, everyone is so busy. And sometimes you just don't have the, the miles in that perhaps you had in previous training cycles. So think about what you want out of this Boston instead of 
sort of allowing the race to happen, make the race happen for you and say to yourself, well, you know what? I don't think I want to go for a PR for this race this year, but I think what I want to do is completely enjoy the experience, have the best time possible run with gratitude. Or maybe it's, you know, I really want to try and get a negative split at Boston. I've never done that before. I really think that by starting out easier, I will be able to do that and achieve that. So maybe that means starting out even easier to achieve that negative split. That is a terrific goal. Or um, perhaps this Boston, after building some aerobic base, but not as much as you would hope, this Boston, you can treat it as another long run, a really long run, but consider it to be the beginning of your next training cycle where you developed an aerobic base. You didn't quite sharpen that much. You go out, you run Boston, you run well, but not anything that's going to knock a time out of the park, but you use that as miles under your legs that after recovery can certainly then be used toward other racing throughout the spring and the summer. And that is a great goal. And it sets you up for success because your legs won't be trashed and you'll come out of the race with a new energy and a newfound set of goals. So those are some of my personal suggestions in terms of goals to set other than a PR. Do you have anything to add to that, Lisa? Well, I was just going to say that it doesn't, um, you know, you don't need the, I would say, excuse of like not having a great training season or not having a lot of time. Maybe you just want to go enjoy Boston and you've had a great day, you know, you've trained well and it's okay to just say like, this is Boston. I want to just go experience it. I want to soak it in. We get a lot of that. We have a lot of runners who come to us with that goal. I just want to go enjoy the experience. A lot of runners will say, and I, this is usually my goal going to, I want to feel good those last few miles. I want to make that right on, on Hereford, the left on Boylston and soak in, like, I don't want to be like dying for the finish line or hobbling to the finish line. I want to feel good. So I think that that's, you know, that's okay to have that um, as your goal. But I think like you said, kind of the, the bottom line is, is think about, this is the time where we think about what, what do we want to get out of Boston? Maybe it's a BQ for, for, um, for 2023. Maybe that's what you want to get. So what is the time that you need? Is it reasonable? Um, but again, it's okay to just go into it with, um, this is Boston and I just want to enjoy it. And, and also giving yourself the flexibility that if conditions change, you've got a plan B, you've got um, a backup, you've got, and, and you've embraced that so that it doesn't freak you out that if you get there and the weather is horrible, that all of a sudden now you're not going to be able to reach your goal. What's your beagle if you're, you know, if, if conditions don't cooperate or something happens before leading to race day. I love that. And, and, and adding to that, don't put unnecessary pressure on yourself. Remember, nobody cares about your race times, but you. We are not. I just was telling Paul this yesterday. I was telling him because he was saying, well, you know, just remember Boston's only one that counts. And I said, not really to me, at least. And this is in my perspective. I said, not really like I go to Boston and it really is to enjoy Boston. Obviously, I want to qualify for the next year. So that's sort of like my kind of underlying goal. But I also said, like every year I go, I get people saying, was that your was that your PR? And like last year was far off my PR, like was not even close. And I had so many people saying, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. Was that your PR? And it just goes to show you nobody knows where your time like nobody knows uh, if your time is good, if it's bad, if it's um, it, it's only you really are the one who's going to care about your time. Um, so I think that that's uh, that's really important is that you're the only one putting pressure on yourself. So that's a that's yeah. A good, and uh, unnecessary pressure creates stress and stress. While sometimes there's good stress that creates adrenaline right before a race that we've talked about before unnecessary stress. What does that create? that causes us to not enjoy our hobby that causes us to not have gratitude and 
Of course, that also leads into other things like sleep. So really think about where you are in your life right now, why you do this, why we enjoy it so much and, and try to channel that energy into positive stress. So on race day, whatever your goal is, you're doing it for the right reasons and not because of unnecessary pressure that you've created um, that really doesn't exist. Yeah. Sounds, sounds like, um, sounds like wise words from someone with lots of experience from Boston, which you have. So, yeah. So before we wrap up, uh, just a couple of other tips, given that we've got six weeks to go is that now is a great time to book a massage. Now is a great time again, to take care of any of those little things, niggles, injuries, um, talk to your PT and make sure that you are giving yourself time to recover. Extra rest days is never a bad thing. Know that it's totally fine to go off plan and take an extra day. You, you will never regret taking an extra rest day. Similarly, you will not regret cutting a workout short if you're just not feeling right. You don't want to complete a workout hobbling where you're compensating or something like that. That's only going to exacerbate what's going on. Rest and recovery is key right now. You'll only benefit from that. And finally, sleep. We talk about sleep all the time. This serves as a reminder. Now is the time to really get that sleep schedule nailed down, making sure you prioritize bedtime and positive sleep routines that allow you to sleep through the night. And we know a lot of folks have trouble sleeping. We totally understand, but, you know, seek some help and understand that it is possible to get a good night's sleep. Even if you've had a couple of bad nights of sleep, just really try to work on that before race day. It will make a huge difference. So those are our tips for now. And uh, we'll be back for some more, of course, before Boston and in between some great guests we have coming down the pike. But in the meantime, everyone listening who stuck with us, thank you so much. We wish you all the best in the last segment of your training. And if you have any questions, feel free to shoot them to us at Julie and Lisa at runfartherandfaster.com. Lisa, I hope you have a great week. I hope you have a great week, Julie. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryan. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.